Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor podcast with Victor Dadaj, where you'll hear stories and strategies to help increase your sales and grow your business. Here's your host, Victor Dadaj. All right, welcome to Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor. I'm your host, Victor Dadaj. I hope you're having an amazing day so far. Today, we have an awesome guest. This guy has helped start nearly 20,000 new businesses and nonprofits, and with his business partner, led their multi-million dollar business through an exceptional and extended growth uh, period, over 10 years of double-digit growth, all before he turned 35. He founded Scale Architects to help founders and CEOs identify and implement the one essential strategy they need right now to get them on the fast track to predictable success. So let's welcome Scott Ritzheim. How are you doing today, Scott? Hey, Victor. I'm doing great. Uh, looking forward to a good conversation. It's great to have you on, Scott. And I'd like to get started by asking you to, you know, you know, please share your story. How did you wind up becoming an entrepreneur? Yeah, funny story. I'm one of those accidental entrepreneurs. When you kind of rewind the tape, it was kind of always in the blood. You know, my, my dad actually ended up uh, starting a business when I was in high school, and I got to see all the glory and all the uh, not-so-glory uh, of, of that process, uh, but didn't really fancy myself an entrepreneur. Uh, and so what had happened, I, I went off to, uh, to college, uh, met a, a wonderful woman who's now my wife, and we decided to move down to Atlanta and um, was working with a ministry at the time, actually, and just needed a part-time job. So one of the guys uh, uh, nearby said, hey, I've, I've got an opening. You can help check our support email box, right? That, that was the—my the, the, entry to the business world was, you know, the mailroom uh, at this company, and— uh, long story short, uh, over the next uh, couple of months, he actually worked out a deal, sold the company, and owner financed the deal. And then over about 18 months, uh, the company was systematically but unintentionally destroyed. And, and, and I you had just a first row seat to this. I, I stayed employed by the new company. I was one of the three people who made it the whole way through the process. And I, I, what I, I, I just watched, uh, everyone wanted it to succeed right? Uh, there was no bad guys in this story. There was no villains, right? We, we look for someone to blame, but the reality of it was is there just wasn't a bad guy, but it didn't work at all. Uh, I could see how uh, the company was not fit to be sold. It wasn't ready to run without its founder. I, I saw how uh, someone overvalued the idea that, you know, the two companies were the same and served the same group of people. And uh, I saw them invest in systems that didn't work. And I just saw, I learned more about business, watching it go wrong, right? Over uh, the course of about 18 months than, than I did actually when I went back to business school uh, later in my, th my 30s. And it was actually during that time in all the ugliness of a situation like that, that I fell in love with business. I, I really did. And so long story short, about 18 months goes by, uh, the, the new owners call the previous owner and say, hey, we, we've, we've given it our best shot. We're throwing in the towel. We're going to declare bankruptcy. If you want anything, if you want any of the assets of the business, you can come get them. You got 24 hours. So he calls me from the U-Haul truck. He's, he's on his way um, up to, uh, to, to where the other company was then located to get back the final assets, which was like three broken computers and, and one of those office chairs that like all the padding had worn out of the bottom. So you're basically sitting right on the plastic. So not the, we say assets, but this is, again, there's no real glamor in, in what these assets are, but it was basically, we, we had a shot to do it again. So he calls me from the U-Haul truck and says, hey, 
I'm getting everything back. Will you help me relaunch the company? And so uh, I ended up co-founding the relaunch with him. Now, this was back in September of 2008. So if you, you rewind the tape a little bit, it's not a great time to start a new business. And, uh, and so the first six months of us being in business, the stock market fell, I think, by something like 34, 36%. I don't remember exactly what it was. Uh, and and it was really, really hard and it was wonderful all at the same time, right? It was, there were no martinis on the beach, you know, but there was a lot of hard work and there were some real small wins at first and then those wins started to accumulate and uh, and, and really from there, we started bringing in people. We, we hired back a couple of employees. Uh, we, we got the phones to start ringing. We had sales start coming in. And, and we really started to take off. We, we never ended up applying for the Fortune 5000, but we'd have been in the top 1,000 uh, fastest growing companies, uh, close to the top 500 fastest growing companies for most of my time there at that business. But like a lot of folks, you know, when you're that young, I was 20, 21 uh, during all of this, uh, the very first executive team meeting I was in, I was leading, right? Like I, I had to build an, ex I had no idea, like, what do you do in an executive team meeting? And so, you know, you, you look at the highlight reel and we really did, we, we really did help start um, you know, just, uh, just over 20,000 different organizations. We partnered with a lot of founders uh, and visionaries during that time. And, and you look at the highlight reel of that and say, oh, wow, you know, so much success and, you know, built and sold a $10 million company at that time. But, man, we made so many mistakes. I did so many things wrong. And, and the biggest thing that I feel like I got wrong, having looked at, back at it now, uh, is I bought into the lie that the entrepreneurial journey should be a lonely one. Right. I, I thought to be, you know, an entrepreneur, you know, and I had a business partner. So it was kind of the two of us against the world in many ways. And then once we had a team, it was us against the world. But the reality of it was we tripped over our feet so many times on things that so many people could have helped us avoid. And uh, a big part of my heart and passion right now is to help founders who are on that journey to not step in the same potholes that I did, right? To not get blindsided the same way that I did and to really be able to scale their organizations with a fraction of the heartache and headache of trying to do it alone. Okay, now thanks for sharing that. But basically your journey started when your dad started a business in high school, although at the time you weren't interested in uh, doing it, but uh, later on, um, uh, you and your wife moved down to Florida after you got married. You were working in Michigan, but you needed some part-time work. And basically, you're working support email box. You're basically working in the mailroom. And unfortunately, the company was eventually destroyed. And but you were lucky enough to be employed by the new company. Um, but there were some things that didn't go well. And in the end, um, uh, you learned a lot of what not to do during that experience, what they did wrong, and that's part of what you do today. Is you, you, they made mistakes, and later on, you made a lot of mistakes, and basically you want to teach people to avoid these mistakes. Yeah. But you were lucky enough in that um, they eventually uh, contacted the old owner to give him 24 hours to pick up the leftover ads, which really wasn't a whole bunch of – it wasn't a whole lot. But he then called you and asked him to help restart the business. In September 2008, which, as you pointed out, was a really tough time. We were going through a really bad recession. The yeah. stock market was crashing. People were getting let go. I remember that time very vividly. It was a really tough time for the economy. Yeah. But but eventually, you guys were able to get things going. You guys had did some uh, got some really good growth going. Eventually, you were able to sell for ten million. But you also mentioned that uh, you were leading the executive meeting, and you were only 21 years old, and you guys 
uh, made mistakes. Like you first thought it would, the entrepreneur journey should be solo, and you learned later you should not be solo. But you made a whole bunch of mistakes. And um, the thing is, um, and this is very important because a lot of times when people make mistakes in business, they often give up and they just sell the business. They just you know close it down. Whereas if they learn to avoid those mistakes or learn from the mistakes, they can keep persevering and keep growing. And so that's why it's good to talk to someone like you, you know, as a consultant, you know, uh, you, know you could teach them to avoid these things, save a lot of heartbreak and frustration and stress. Um, and it, it could save you three to five years of struggling and just start making money a lot more quickly. So that's one of the important things of, you know, avoiding these things and learning from things. So I think so, that's where someone like you can be, be so valuable to the people. So uh, can you talk a little bit more about how you help serve these clients and, you know, You know, because you, know, you have a great story, so I'm sure when you talk to them, they can relate. Say, yeah, I'm, 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 with, I'm going through that right now. Yeah, it really is. And, and uh, a lot of what I've done um, and a lot of what I help organizations do is to scale up, right? Most folks come to me, they're, they're trying to hit that next level of growth. Uh, maybe they're going from one location or they've got a vision of going to 10 or 100 or, you know, they, they've been in that, you know, five to $10 million range and, and they've, they've got the audacity to believe that they could be in the 50 to $100 million range. But they, they want to get to not just a, a better version of what's going on right now, but they really want to grow their organization, either business or nonprofit. That's where they tend to call me in. And one of the things that I notice, I work with lots of founders. These are particularly very entrepreneurial organizations. Um, you know, they're not brand new to the journey. They've been doing this for a while. Most of them have had a pretty significant degree of success to, to some extent or the other, but they've bumped into something new and they can't quite figure it out. And having had the opportunity to, to see this happen so many times, again, I, front row seat to about 20,000 of these journeys, including my own, I started to recognize that there are, there's a pattern here. There are, there are common trends and circumstances and experiences, particularly that founders face again and again and again and again. And, and when you talk to a founder, you'll get this sense that they feel like they're the only one that this is happening to, right? They'll, you know, they, they look around, maybe they're, even if they're connected, they're in business groups or they've got peer groups that they're part of and, and they're looking around and they think everyone's successful, no one's having problems but me, right? I'm the only one who's experiencing this. And the reality of it is there is a specific journey that every founder faces. Uh, and in fact, there are specific stages to that journey that every founder faces. There are seven stages that every founder goes through. And when I started to overlay these stages on the stories and experiences that I saw firsthand, uh, the ones that I experienced myself, the ones that were happening for the clients that I worked with then, and now also the ones that are happening to clients I'm working with now, I started to see we actually all go through these same seven stages. Now, what makes it really tricky, and this is what separates the, the founder's journey, right? The, the leadership journey of a founder from really any other type of role is that there's nothing to indicate that the game has changed. So what do I mean by that? Let's take the leadership journey of an employee, right? Let's take the first couple you know, uh, years of, of my journey as an employee. I started in the mailroom. I started as a frontline worker. I had my job to do. I needed to do my job well. And what happens when you do that? You get recognized and they think, hey, can you help lead a couple of people? And 
and, and that's admittedly a hard transition to make. Moving from being a solo contributor to managing a team of people is a difficult transition to make. In fact, the better you are as a solo contributor, the harder it is to make that transition. But here's what the employee has going for them. They've got a new title. They've got a new position. Hopefully they've got more pay. But there are external validators that say it's okay that it's hard because it's new. Something has changed and this is just part of the journey of learning how to do it. Same thing that happens when you go from being a frontline worker to uh, maybe a, 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 a lower manager to a middle manager or an executive. You get a new title at every stage of the evolution. Put this in, in the context of a founder. What, what's the, the uh, you know, take any founder, their business card, right? We all go out and get business cards. No one uses them anymore, but we get business cards when we start. And what does it say? It says founder and CEO, right? It says founder and CEO. We have the same title from day one, maybe even before day one, that we will basically for the rest of our time at the company. But the truth of it is there are five distinct stages that happen before you really actually start acting like a CEO. And so what happens is the game changes completely five different times before you really step into what that CEO seat is. But again, there's nothing to say that it has changed. And so why founders get stuck so often, why they get frustrated so often, why I tripped over my own two feet so many times was that I didn't know that I had gone into a new stage. Uh, I didn't recognize that I needed to show up differently as a leader. I didn't recognize that there were a few skills that I needed now for success that were very, very different than the skills I needed in the past. Okay, that's very uh, interesting. So number one, you teach uh, these founders to how to scale the companies. Like they might be five to ten million, and you can teach how they can go from fifty to hundred million. And um, and you mentioned that one of the things they realize they don't realize is they think they're the only ones going through these issues, going through these problems. And you make them aware that many other founders are going through the same issues. And and you and you mentioned there's nothing to indicate in the journey that anything has changed because as a founder they just seem to have the same time nothing seems to have changed. Whereas you're an employee, you could get a raise, you can get promoted, you become a manager, for example. And uh, but they go through various stages. I mean, one of the things you mentioned is there are seven stages of the founder's evolution. So you might talk a little bit more about those stages because you know th there might be a couple of founders listening to this interview. So they could be aware of it. Maybe they could reach out to you and learn more about it. So, uh, yeah. and, or maybe people learn wanting starting their own business and you know, they might go through some of these frustrations. So could you talk a little bit more about those seven stages? Yeah, we've got about two hours, right? Uh, for the no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so it, it, it's you know it's one of those things. Podcasts uh, are great because they're nice bite sized Like, hey, we can grab it and go with it. Seven stages is a lot for any podcast, so we don't need to necessarily go through all of them. I want to hit three areas where we really trip mm -hmm. up, right? So the one of the big areas where we trip up, and 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 you actually mentioned this when you were recapping my story, is that the very first stage is actually called a, a dissatisfied employee. The first stage of every founder's journey. When you actually go back and look at it, there is a period before they launched that is the pain point that caused them to launch. And, and what's happening is they are learning, just like I did, they're learning a list of how not to's. I'm not going to treat my customers that way. I'm not going to treat my employees that way. I'm not going to make that kind of business decision. I'm not going to do this. But the problem with all those how not to's, even though they're correct, is that they don't actually tell you what to do. 
right? You're left at that point. Uh, these are all the things I'm not going to do, but you've actually got to start working out what to do. And, and the hard part about that first stage in the founder's journey is to actually take the time before you launch to figure some of those things out. And, and what most of us do, because we've glamorized entrepreneurship, it's all over Instagram, right? We think it's this wonderful thing uh, that everyone, you know, makes everyone magically, you know, uh, rich, is we try and skip that, that difficult stage of staying in the dissatisfied employee mode and really learning how to do business. Because you'll jump out and you'll find out, like, let's say you're a great computer programmer. Being a great computer programmer does not make you a great tech company entrepreneur. Being a great chiropractor doesn't make you a great business owner, right? Being a great, whatever it may be, being a great technician does not make you a great entrepreneur. Even being a great entrepreneur, being a, a great salesperson doesn't make you a great manager or a great leader. And so what we've got to do in that early stage is really take the time, really hold off on making the leap as long as we can to, to, to really start to understand what's going to be necessary to succeed in that stage. When you look at the, st the statistics, they're really bad on entrepreneurial success, right? Uh, the majority and pick your, you know, there's different stats out there, but there's a pretty universal agreement that the majority of new businesses fail in the first five years. Why is that? Because they start with nothing more than a dream and a bunch of how not to's. And so if we can take that time before we launch, some people will realize, I don't actually need to go start a business. I just need to get a better job. Some people will realize, oh, my business idea was never going to work in the real world. And so we get to pivot and we get to do it on someone else's dime, right? We, we don't have to make payroll as we're learning all these hard lessons. So that's a real big one right out of the gate. Uh, stage two is where we enter into that startup entrepreneur mode. And, and fo folks are pretty familiar with that stage. Okay, no, so definitely, definitely some good stuff there, and and I'm, I like what you shared about the dissatisfied employee thing, because uh, yeah, a lot of people forget about it, and and you're right, the focus is you know they have that pain, they say I like, change this when I start my own business, I'm not going to do these things, I'm going to treat my my customers like that, my employees like that, and you said a big problem with that is they don't tell you what to do because you're just focused on what not to do, and and that causes a lot of problems. And and you mentioned like being a great employee doesn't mean you're going to be a great business owner. Doesn't mean you're going to be a great manager. And and you mentioned that the vast majority of businesses fail within five years. Um, so def definitely some really good stuff here. A couple other questions I want to ask you is because um, one thing that happens to a lot of founders is that um, they become uh, reluctant managers. So what is something that these founders can do about you know? this thing about becoming reluctant managers. Yeah, absolutely. And that that's the big pain point number two, right? What happens is, let's fast forward a little, we had our dissatisfied employee, let's say they took the time, they became a startup entrepreneur, and they just knock it out of the park, right? They figure it out, they start selling. And what happens is you start selling, you start having more work to do. And as you have more work to do and more clients to serve, what do you have to do? You have to get more people to help with that work. And, and in the mind of an entrepreneur, uh, it, it's a bit of a relief, right? I'm going to get somebody in. They're going to take some of this work off my plate, and it's going to be wonderful. And they bring someone in, and, and it's kind of helpful in some sense, And they, but then they end up having to sell more, and it, it feels like it's a little bit of a wash, but they know they need to add more people, and so that's what they do. And they do it again, they do it again, they do it again. At some point, they wake up. they got a handful of employees, maybe they're contractors, oftentimes they're employees, uh, sometimes both, and the, the defining question that hits them Monday morning before they get into work is, 
what is wrong with these people, <laughs> right? Like employees don't think the way that entrepreneurs do. They don't act the way that entrepreneurs do. They don't have the same commitment. They don't have the same drive. They don't have the same ability to think on their feet. In fact, you don't want them to, right? You don't want them to be a bunch of entrepreneurs just like you because they'd probably leave and start their own business, right? They don't want to work for you in the first place. And so what happens in this early stage, this reluctant manager stage, is a few things. One, there's not an entrepreneur out there who starts their business because they want to be a manager. There are much easier ways of being a manager than starting a business, right? So that's the first one. And when you look at the skill sets that tend to be innate to entrepreneurs, good, accountable management is not one of them. Now, that doesn't mean that they can't do it. Uh, and in fact, they can actually do it very well once they, they, they understand the role of management in creating the success that they want. But that's the first part is they're just not natural managers. Now, the second part of it is they're not very good at hiring either. And so what happens is we, we really clumsily hire these first few people. And, and so you see this great discrepancy on, on, on entrepreneurs in the early days because it's kind of like hit or miss, right? You either stumble across like your nephew is a really great uh, you know, worker or he's not a really great worker. You don't hire him because you know he's great at what he does. You hire him because of proximity, right? You, you're hiring folks either because they've got a pulse and you just need to fill spots. You're hiring them because you know, you know them or someone you know knows them, but you really don't know what you're looking for. You're just looking for help. And so because of that, we end up hiring somewhere between two thirds and three quarters of the wrong people, actually. And a big part of the reluctance that we face as managers, uh, as entrepreneurs that are trying to be managers, is that we intuitively get that the things that some of our people are asking for are inappropriate. We shouldn't have to give that level of detail. We shouldn't have to take that long. Things shouldn't move this slowly. And we conflate that with the, the few people on our team who are actually the right kind of person who can help us to accelerate our growth. And so we just have a tendency to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater. And instead of learning those few skills uh, for managing the right people well, we just get frustrated with the people that we have. We start to get reluctant about the fact that we've got to make their payroll for them. And they're sitting around, you know, some folks will even feel like they're being stolen from by their employees. Uh, and the reality of it is, even if you have a bad employee, it's not their fault. It's yours as the founder. It's yours as the manager. And the good news is, if you can if you can recognize that the stage has changed if you can recognize that your success is now about not just your own ability but also your ability to lead this small team and, and to drive success through others once you get that once you catch that you can rapidly accelerate into the next stage all right now that's some really good stuff there uh yeah, like you said, what happens to a lot is they start selling a lot, they make more money, and they realize, I can't do this all by myself. It's so much work. They need to hire more employees. But then as they get into employees, um, there's, a, there's a big difference because they're entrepreneurs. They, they work, they act differently, and you're right. And one reason it's good they're not entrepreneurs because they will eventually leave anyway. Uh, but it's it's a totally different mindset, and these guys who are starting these businesses, you mentioned they're not mat natural managers, they're not good at hiring, and they don't really know what they're looking for. And you mentioned that two-thirds or three-quarters of the employees that they hire are the wrong ones hired. So they get frustrated um, and they start blaming the employees for all the things that go on. But it's actually really the majority of it is their fault. So 
Um, would you think? Would you say that's also one of the reasons why these so many of these funds become um, not only reluctant match but dissolution leaders, and this prevents the organization from growing more, from becoming more scalable because of the the reasons you just mentioned, or the yeah. other factors involved? Yeah, it's it's interesting. They get to the next level. We kind of we kind of left that uh, off. Is what is the next level, right? You have someone who's in the reluctant manager stage, and they're usually saying, "How can I get to the next level? How can I create more success?" Now, they may have generated a million dollars of business. They want to make 10 million or, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what the number is, but they have this idea of what success looks like. And it's something in the future. And, and they realize to get there, I have to get to the next level. What they don't realize is that the next level is not up and to the right. The, the next level is not a more glorious version of today. In fact, for most founders, you know, there are there are great times during this period. And, and when they get the reluctant manager stage right, their business will accelerate dramatically. But when you look at the life and experience of the founder during this stage, particularly inside of their organization, it actually gets harder. It actually gets more restricted. Uh, there's more pressure. Uh, they, they, they start getting squeezed out of different areas of their business. You know, they used to do all the sales and all the fulfillment. Well, they couldn't do both, so they hired someone to do the fulfillment. And now those folks do it a little differently. And, and in fact, they do it so differently that they're starting to restrict how you can sell, right? It, well, we, we don't do that service anymore. We couldn't make a profit on it. And so what happens for founders, once they graduate from that stage three reluctant manager, they graduate into stage four, which is actually the disillusioned leader. And, and it's kind of like there's a, a in the book uh, that I lay all these stages out. I, I extend uh, this this sports metaphor for each stage, and and this this move into the the disillusioned leader is kind of like being a captain on the field. And, and being in the play and in the game and having the ball in your hands and being able to muscle your team through to victory and then getting moved to being a coach on the sideline where it's not about how skilled you are anymore. It's not about how fast you can run. It's not about how good you can sell. It's not about how well connected you are with your network. It's not about how competent a consultant you are. When you move into that stage four, you realize it's actually not about you. It's not about your skill set. And there's nothing you can do by yourself to make your organization grow and scale like you want. And, and what adds to the disillusionment is you hit that $5 million mark that you've been dreaming about. You hit that $10 million mark you've been dreaming about. And you realize businesses get bigger. They don't just, they don't get better, right? You, you, when you hit $10 million, you've got a whole new problem. I remember there was a founder who was talking to me. His dream was to make a million dollars of profit in a year. He worked for it for, I think, 18 years uh, of his business to get to a million dollars of profit. He got to a million dollars of profit. And you know what he said next? Now I have a $400,000 tax bill that I got to figure out how to pay, right? And, and so there are these kind of arbitrary lines that we think will, will all of a sudden feel successful. And, and when we get there, we realize the backside of that looks pretty much just like the front side. And, and it's disillusioning. And, and this is where a lot of founders will start to begin to think, like, is this it? Is this really as good as it gets? Is this really what being a business owner of a multi-million dollar business is? 
because it kind of sucks, you know, like, and, and it should look great. It should feel wonderful. You're making more money than you ever have before. Your company looks super successful in the eyes of anyone that you would ask, but you're just kind of, you're kind of dying inside. And, and, and so all of that kind of culminates. And, and if we're not careful as disillusioned leaders, that's when we'll start to check out. We'll either say, hey, I just want to, I want to check out of my business. I'm going to get someone else to own it and I'm just going to go do something else. Or maybe this is as far as I can take my business. Maybe, maybe this is as good as I, I, I can get it as a founder and I need a, a more professional CEO or I need to sell to, to someone else. And what we do nine times out of 10 is we sell ourselves short. Uh, one other point on this, and then we can kind of shift gears, but uh, a few months ago, this is, I guess, almost a year ago now, my wife and I, uh, we've got three kids at home. It's really hard to get a date night, right? So we finally, like, we work it out. We got all the kids. We got the babysitter. Everything's good. We're going to go for a date night. And being super cool and romantic, we go see a movie, right? A movie and, and dinner. Like, that's about the extent of it. So we go and Top, uh, Top Gun Maverick had just come out. And, uh, and so we're watching the movie and with about 15, 20 minutes left, we get a call from the babysitter that we've got to go home and, and take care of the two-year-old's not having a good night and it's just, the wheels are falling off. And so we, we leave um, and we go home and I didn't see the last 20 minutes of Top Gun Maverick for about 13 months, right? I, I, like, and when you stop that movie at that point, uh, everything that could go wrong has gone wrong, right? You know, Tom Cruise has been shot down about three times by now. You know, it's like, it just looks like the world's gonna fall apart. There's, there's conflict and there's turmoil and there's pain. And, and what happens is the exact same thing. If you stop the, the movie of your entrepreneurial journey in stage four, you stop just a couple minutes, just one stage away from the biggest transformation that you'll experience as a founder. You stop just one stage away from the denouement, the, that, that pivotal point in the movie where the hero finally comes through and you will rob yourself and your organization of more success than you can imagine at that stage. All right, now that was, uh, that was some really good stuff there. Um, uh, the way the mindset of the dissolution leaders is, is, you know, they, they say, is this it? You know, you mentioned that guy got made $1 million, but he's like, I got a $400,000 tax bill. And he seems like uh, he seems like he did all this for nothing, and he's just his viewpoint, his paradigm is uh, needs to be altered. And you said very often we sell ourselves short. And then you just mentioned the Top Gun Maverick uh, example. You know, you left 13 minutes before the movie ended because you got a call from the babysitter. And very often we stop the movie right before that one last stage where we can really get to the next level, really go further in our lives. And really right before we had success. It reminds me of what Napoleon Hill talked about, the example of the guy that gave up three feet from the gold. So he yeah. sold it to someone else. He got this engineer and he said, oh, you just quit three feet from the goal. That guy made a ton of money and they, they lost out a lot of money because if they just persevered a little bit longer, they would have hit all their goal. And how yeah. often, as you know, you mentioned all these founders, how many people have quit? They're so right close to the finish, right there. If they just kept on a little bit longer, they'd have a lot yeah. more success. It's a shame. A lot of people give up way too soon. Yeah. So one final question I want to ask you is, um, Oh, what happened uh, with a lot of organizations, it seems like they seem to go downhill and die 
once their founder leaves the company, you know, they sell it or he dies or he just quits the company and, you know, um, he moves on. So what, why is it that a lot of these companies start to st start die after the founder leaves? Yeah. So we're, we're kind of going through the whole chronology here. You've, you've, you've started your company. It's been successful. You've made it through the reluctant manager, the disillusioned leader phase. And you, you kind of feel like, hey, I've done it. I've arrived. And, and in many extents you have. But there's one real, real big challenge left. And, and that is this idea of succession. What happens next? Now, this is where founders and business owners in general uh, are actually two different groups. Uh, and, and when you look at the heart of a founder, many of them, especially the ones that I work with, uh, especially the ones that have made it this far, they don't want their organization to just get absorbed by some big, you know, uh, giant firm. They, they don't want it to uh, be sold off for asset value. They don't want to see it destroyed. Uh, they want to see it thrive after their time. They want to see it grow and become something that outlives and outlasts them. The problem with it is that when we start looking at this idea of succession, we think about it all wrong. We're looking for someone, uh, and this is the wrong way of doing it, but we mistakenly look for someone to pursue our vision for our company, right? When what we really need to do is we need to find someone that we trust to instill the next vision for our company. We can't just bring in another person to kind of you know, run the plays that we figured out over time. We need to bring in another visionary leader who has a dream and a vision and a passion for the company that goes beyond ours. And it's that that we need to do to start breathing life into the organization in the future. Otherwise, what happens? There's a few years of great success. It looks like everything's right. And that organization starts a long, slow slide into irrelevance as nothing more than a museum of the past. Awesome. I, I think that's a really good way of explaining it. And I never thought of it that way. But yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like founders want the company to succeed. They want to keep going on long after they've gone. They don't want to be absorbed and destroyed by some big corporation. But the mistake you mentioned is the way they think of succession, which is the way a lot of people do. Is like they want someone to pursue their vision of the company instead of going to the next vision, you know, to help them grow better and bigger. So the focus needs to be on what the next vision should be for the company instead of what the current vision is. And unfortunately, I think too many founders want someone wants to think exactly the way they do and keep the same vision going. So, you know, that makes a lot of sense. And I think if, if founders can avoid that mistake, a lot more of these companies will continue growing long after the founder leaves. So yeah. Scott, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. It was a real pleasure having you on. You shared a lot of great ideas, a lot of great wisdom. And I know people listening to this uh, episode are definitely going to learn a lot from it. If people want to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to contact you? Yeah, especially in the context of this conversation, the best way is to head on over to our website, scalearchitects.com. And if you go to scalearchitects.com forward slash founders, you can get a free copy of the book that outlines not only all seven stages that we talked about a few of them here on the show, but it actually gives two to five key essential strategies for each one of those stages. Now, that might feel like a lot. There's a lot of different things. But when you look at it, if you're in one stage, you only have to do a couple of things. What it's really doing is saying you get to say no to 20, 30, 40, 50 other things. And so if you go get a copy of the book, find what stage you're in and start executing those strategies, you'll see most folks save about 10 hours a week 
and grow their business faster than they were doing beforehand. So you go there, you'll also have an opportunity to chat with me. There's an option right there on that page to schedule. So scalearchitects.com slash founders, get a copy of the book and it will change your life. Awesome. Thanks again, Scott. Have yourself a great day. Thanks, Victor. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please smash that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our amazing episodes. Please also leave a five-star rating review and have an awesome day.